Hello and welcome to another episode of the Marv the Comedian's Paradise. This is where we speak to inspiring and creative people across the world. They'll inspire comedians like you and me to live life on our own terms. If you like this podcast, share with your friends, subscribe, give us a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes. Or of course, you can also donate to the Patreon page at the Comedian's Paradise. Now today's guest is a fantastic, amazing performer, screenwriter, prankster, musician, stand-up comedian. His name is Mikey Barge. He is amazing talented and he is probably the best Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator you could possibly get. Please welcome Mikey Badge. <laughs> wow, I am actually impressed there. I'm properly impressed. It was amazing the way you tackled it. It was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Can I tell you? I'm a big fan. No, the way that you did that was fine. I think it was great. Now get your mother on the phone now. Jamie! <laughs> Very good. Get to the chopper. <laughs> the chopper! He's behind you! No, it's great. <laughs> and Absolutely. so it's a, it's a pleasure to have you, Mikey. And like, tell us a bit about your story. Because you're a man of many different trades. And how did you start? And like, how did you become a performance connoisseur? Performance connoisseur? That's the best thing I've ever heard. I like that. I started stand-up comedian, stand-up comedian, stand-up as a stand-up comedian, uh, really young, age 11 in London, uh, got a few breaks and I just kept going there, you know, from that point, you know, doing all the, I think we've probably met on the circuit a few times. Yeah, a few times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you booked me for a gig, which was, you know, great. You know, at that age, that's, a, that's what you need. You need to just jump on as many shows as you can. So yeah. I was doing the open mic scene. I then it kind of got into the competition stages, you know, doing, you know, new act of the year competition and trying to do King Gong and won a King Gong, which was great. And yeah. ever since then, I've been kind of like just going at it in terms of stand up, you know, doing as much as I can, getting some bookings, getting some gigs, getting a manager. Oh, my God, the manager was crazy. I can't even mention his name. Yes, uh, there's so many stories I've heard about him. Like, and there's so many things that happened. He had yeah. Russ Haynes, yeah. a man who, what's, what's the polite word of saying it? Uh, a nonce. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then, and then you hear stories about him doing a bit of fisty cuff of his misses. Then he's not paying comedians and comedians still work for him. Right. And then boom, I don't hear anything of him. Yeah. And, and he was apparently taking quite a lot of our money as well for the gigs yeah um so we'll be paid a certain amount and then i think he i think he was stealing from us all as well so you know it was one of those ones but he hit away he'll call you up last minute for a gig so i won't say his name people like, i've got a gig for you mate he'll be like all right where is it uh can you get there in 20 minutes well where is it uh it's on the planet endor can you get there he'll be like no i can't get to endor in 10 20 minutes you know he'll have a sort of a way of kind of like just forcing you to do certain opportunities that you wouldn't want and it, it was kind of car crash you knew it was going down like ah uh, but was he a bit of a money grabber type character he is a character and he's given me like the idea of putting him in some sort of situation um but i don't know if he was a money grabber but he was just like had the the 
he thought he had the gift of the gab, you know? So yeah. he's just one of these people that can just talk, even though you know if their life is spiraling down out of control. Like, We're going to be all right. You and me, comedy promoter, father and son. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not working. But <laughs> notorious, notorious. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's notorious. But you, you, you saw the lineup. Oh, I just signed Danny Brakey. You're like, who's this? He who signed random people um, at open mic gigs. So, yeah. I mean, he, he did get to a certain point though, but yeah, it just, it just, there was one moment, yeah, he didn't pay people. And then he, the, yeah, it just, it's, you're right. There's a lot of things here and there. But one thing that I always find funny about comedy is that people still work for people, like with comedy shows and comedy promoters, people still work for people that don't pay them. Like with jonglers, you hear about them. And of course, like, oh, you're still going to do a gig for them, but they haven't paid you. So you're, you're, you're making them continue to do that sort of thing. Yeah. That's the worst thing in the situation. You will get people like that in the comedy industry who will um, kind of, they, they act like they're doing you a favor. Cause in a way they, you know, they're promoting you, but I hate that word exposure, you know, exposure. Yeah. We're giving you this exposure. So we're selling tickets. You're going to still work the same but we're not going to pay you. So someone's getting paid from that, you know? Yeah. It's not all about the money. Of course, it's not all about the money, but there has to be a point where you're like, you, you know, someone came up to me in my early stages of, of comedy and said, There's only, you only need two things in order to be a professional. Get paid and show up on time. Hmm. And I like that. I've always, I've always remembered that. So that's why I always show up on time and then make sure you get paid. That's sometimes, sometimes I've seen that in comedy and I'm not going to say any names or say any individuals, but sometimes I think, you know, they call themselves pro comics, but sometimes I see some of that is just that they're always available for gigs and that's, that's what's made them pro, not necessarily because they're this level or that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what do you mean? Just by the gigs, the number of gigs they get. Like if, Jeff Whiting, for example, he does. He's he's booking this big paid gig of about a thousand, like five hundred pound or something, and then a lot of the top ones go. You know, they sometimes get desperate, so they'll they. I think in some instances they will book anyone, and so if you're always that one there, they have to take a chance on you. If like if you run the amount of gigs that Jeff Whiting and a lot of other promoters run, they have to take a chance on someone. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, they'll bring you in, and that you'll do like you know you'll do a warm up, the ten spot or they'll have somewhere in the middle for you to do. So that's your chance to kind of get in there. So there's always opportunities, you're right, because they might be in Edinburgh. I remember when everybody was in Edinburgh, London was just like, for the taking. Yeah. There were so many gigs going on. So just always work. It's, yeah, it, it's, well, I mean, you, as you're sort of a performer and sort of, you, would you call yourself just a straight up performance um, heptathlon? Teflon. Like you that. know, like with Jessica Ennis, she was, did so many different things. But as your performer, you also do lots of different things. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I mean. Because you could say like, all oh, right, you do stand up, you do acting, but for me, that's just performing, isn't it? So like, yeah, just performing, and then obviously, you know, you've got you got to write stuff, you got you got to film, you got to make it, you got to make it happen, you got to direct it, edit it. So, this is going to be a quite a diverse question, but yeah. what do you feel you gain from doing? each of those things and how does it shape you what are the negatives of it and what are the positives that it brings you rather than just being what well, my name's dave i'm a comedian bish bosh 
Mm. That's so true. Um, all right, for me, I just like the idea of like, you know, like Da Vinci. And Da Vinci, when you look at his background, this guy was a doctor, he was an inventor, he's a sculptor, he's a painter, he does all these different, he's a mathematician. So go tell Da Vinci, you know, like, oh, look, you just got to paint. You can't, you can't study anatomy, you just got to do this. So I always looked at Da Vinci and all those sort of people and thought that was kind of normal in order to do all these aspects. Because in order to do all these aspects, once you do all of these different things, you realize that they're actually quite similar in a way. Um, so again, I just found myself grad gravitated towards all these different things. I love doing them. When one gets a, a bit annoying and frustrating, I kind of jump onto the other thing, right? But in no way does it kind of, um, it's not like I'm, it's a distraction or I'm trying to get away from that other, let's say art form, right? I think it complements each other and they'll serve each other late. And I have seen how they can all work together. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a bad thing because if I was just Dave, the comedian, it would be a bit easier in terms of my life because Dave, the comedian, what does he do? It says what it says on the tin, right? So I think it'll be easier for the world to understand because I don't think people have been, you're quite cool, you seem to get it, but not everybody, I speak to advertisers all the time or people in marketing, friends of mine, and they'll say, oh, I think you should just, your, your YouTube page was kind of confusing and I went on your website and it confused me. You're making music videos and you're doing stand up. I'm like, well, it's just what I'm doing, you know? Um, I don't know if that's confusing to people. Um, so I'm not the best one to ask, but that's the only thing I find that. that uh, way. Yeah. If especially, basically you get confused as a jack of all trades or something, but master of none. There is. So I had a comedian on the podcast called Ada Camp and she does magic. Now she does singing and she performs in cabaret. She performs in magic shows, comedy. She does all these different things. And she said most comedy agents said you had to be a certain thing. But she's got signed with gag reflex and they're quite happy for her to do all those different things. And she says one of the biggest things she gains performing in all these different genres is that she learns from each type of performer and enables her to be a much better comedian as a result. Yeah, th that's it. And I know it's quite rare, but those are the sort of people I gravitate towards. That's what I love doing. And I know it can work in some sort of way. It may take a little bit longer for me to work it out or for the audience to kind of accept that. But once it's there, I'll be the happiest person on the world. The fact that I could do all these different things and move in, into, into the different world and bring parts of it to the forefront would be so cool okay and would you be able to give us an example of like where you being a director or and musician help with your stand-up or vice versa interesting i think the music all right so the music wise i love making music i've always like played guitar and uh, wrote songs i love lyrics so it's helped my stand-up in a long way. Because if I go back into performing stand-up again, I'm going to make my sets a lot tighter in terms of what I say and what I don't say. And I think the approach I would take is write it like a song, write it like a lyric, put rhymes in there if I can, because rhymes are the quickest way to kind of get through to people. Now, I'm not going to be a poet laureate, but I just mean like some sort of balance where it's kind of like how the Black civil rights speakers used to do it all those gospel uh, preachers, they have this sort of way of kind of 
using the rhythm to kind of get their point across. So I think that's where the music's helped. Ah, so but the rule of three, which is a common thing, or like pullback reveal, they're very set sort of set yeah. beats in a way, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, like beats. I mean, like I love sixties music, but just the whole idea of having a hook, you know, a familiar phrase that you use. So I would treat my joke writing like that. Like, where's the hook? What's the name of the what's the name of the joke? Um is there a chorus that everybody can jump in on? Is it going to be and, and keep it tight and short? Like, you know, most of these pop songs are like three, two minutes, three minutes, move on. So, ah. and I, yeah, I've always, and, and, and there's something cool about being a rock star as well. I think rock stars have had a cool life. Just come in on stage, you got the music playing, everybody knows it. Whereas a comedian, you're kind of coming on naked. Same sort of setup, microphone, hmm. stage, crowds, but there's no music, there's no drummer behind you. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard from, and I had this from a Malaysian comedian, he says that with comedy, they'll say, if they don't find you funny, they'll say, you're shit. But with musicians, they'll say, oh, this music wasn't for me. But it's actually the same thing. Yeah. 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 They're like, oh, this, some people go, this band is shit. But um, yeah, it's a bit more personal when you're, when you're a stand up comedian. It, it's all on you though isn't it it's yeah. all on you yeah yeah no one will go oh that joke isn't for me they will go nah he's shit he's wrong he should die the wrong person get yeah. him off who gave him a mic yeah it gets a bit crazy um but yeah. what what have been so with working in these different things what have been the maddest moments that you've had in comedy you already mentioned a interesting individual uh, who we shall not name but what like acting and course in music because i mean that they all performing artists have egos and i think quite a lot of us are sensitive yeah yeah I, I, someone called me sensitive the other day but i think they've got a lack of insensitivity you know what i mean i think in every artist has this the same sort of thing they always say they're sensitive and i think that's because you can really perceive what's really going on. And the slightest eyebrow twitch could trigger you in some sort of way and you would find some sort of emotional outlet for it, you know? Um, so so what was the question exactly? What was the question? I said, what have you found to be uh, the crazy, because you work effectively in different industries, yeah. what have you found to be the, the maddest things that happen in each of them? That uh, you just don't quite get. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, mad. I mean, look, in, in the industry, like, if you're working as an actor, right, I've just seen people get kicked off sets for doing, like... It's mainly the reason why people get kicked off sets is because they... um, Not because they misbehave, but because they treat people with, like, a certain, like, uh, you know, disregard and a lack of, sort of, lack of respect. And that's not tolerated on a film set. Most film sets, they don't care who you are. And do you know how they do it as well? It's the funniest way. They'll bring, they'll like, they would say, um, oh, oh, your cab's on its way. And then the person would be like, what? Be like, yep, cab's coming. Here's your pay. Here's your money. And uh, yep, we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. You'd be like, don't you want to film the rest of the scene? Be like, no, 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 cab's on the way. Here's your money. They don't care. The show will go on and they will pay for your thing. They'll pay for everything. You just never hear from them again, and you'll be like blacklisted, you know. 
Um, oh, okay. So is that is that what happens whenever you sit here of a change of actor? That might be it. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 100%. I mean, I look, I had a friend as well. And I don't know if it's a good story, but I had a friend who apparently, I don't know if this is true, but he says he was in Game of Thrones, right? And um, this is the final series. So he went off to go film a whole plot with Game of Thrones. It was the final series, that dreadful series that went wrong, right? Yeah. So the reason why that series went wrong is because they cut all his portion of it to condense it down. So he was one of the things that got scrapped. So imagine you'll get told you're like going to be the next Kit Harrington. You're going to be on bedroom posters. You're going to get paid crazy amounts of money. They're bringing in for like psychological debriefing and, and, and training and how to manage money and all this sort of stuff. And then they cut your whole, the whole thing. So that can happen as well. Okay. Oh, so is that why comedians are wankers and actors are more polite? <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've had some crazy stories. I mean, like, um, if you want to talk about the Terminator stuff, um, that was crazy, I think, for me. Oh. Going, yeah, so, so I appeared in um, Dark Fate, Terminator Dark Fate. And for me, that was one of the craziest experiences as an actor because I never thought something like that could actually happen to someone like myself, you know? So... Everyone listening to this right now, if you want to be an actor or you want to be a stand-up comedian, you're thinking, oh, I'll never get on that stage or I'll never have that opportunity. You probably will if you actually just stick at it for quite some time. You might actually end up doing that. It's actually very realistic. You could be in the next Star Wars. I don't know. But um, so, yeah, go on. Oh, no. It's a, what do you mean by like stick at it long enough? You might have an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, look, here's all right. If you stick at it long enough, eventually it's a numbers game. You will, if you have the right agent, I'm not saying my agent was particularly like, my agent's actually wicked. But the point is that this opportunity just came along, right? And I still had to like grind for it. Did I tell you the biscuit story? No, you didn't. All right, I've never told this story, but I think the only reason why I actually got the Terminator part is because I caught a biscuit, right? And I don't think it was because my acting or the fact that I can do an American accent, because that's what they were asking for, English actors that could do American accents. So I had to kind of, you know, speak like this and, yeah. you know, make sure that I was, was constantly, you know, speaking in this sort of tone, you know, not like this, British man. <laughs> but anyway, I go to the audition to Spotlight Studios, Leicester Square, and I'm in there, did the first audition. Good. You're on the pencil. Now you're on a pen. I'm like, all right, cool. Next week, they get me to meet Tim Miller, who was the director. He's done a great show on Netflix called Love, Death and Robots. It's all this animation series. He also directed Deadpool and brought that yeah. to, the, to the map. So he has a crazy record of directing action, basically. So he's got signed as the new director for the Terminator movie. He's a very big, muscular guy with tattoos. Very tall, intimidating, but very friendly as well, but very intimidating by his size and stature and obviously his resume. So I'm intimidated already. I'm like, but in my head, I'm like, nah, I've been rehearsing this for quite some time. I'm like, I'm just going to go there and do my thing. If I get it, I get it. I don't. So I already had that sort of, um, how do I say it? Just accepted it. I was like, I don't care if I don't, I don't get it or not. I'm going to go in there and do my thing anyway. That's kind of a good position you want to be in. You don't want to come across desperate. You don't want to think about like, oh, this is going to change my life or, oh, this is going to be a lot of money or I'm going to get to meet so-and-so. You got to think, hold on, just read the lines. And if, it, if it's good, it's good. So did the lines in front of him. 
Um, he asked me, you know, do you want to sit down? Do you want to stand up when you do your lines? I said, I want to stand up. So I'm already kind of just in my zone, right? Push the chair away. I'm like, I'm standing up. Let's do it. Did the lines. Great. One more time again. Do it again. Third time, do it one more time. They're just testing you. They do these little games to like, just to see how you deal with pressure. They like to change things. So as I'm leaving now, no, this is before I do the scene. He's very calm. He's eating like, it's like eating British biscuits and stuff like, oh, you got some nice biscuits here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait till you get to the jammy dodger, you know, just having jokes. And then he's like, do you want a biscuit? And I'm like, nah, it's going to make my mouth all like dry mouth. So he was kind of like a little bit amused by that. I do the scene. Everything's cool, like I said. Now, when I leave, and I mean, the room was about, it was a good 20 feet from us. Because these are quite big rooms, right? Okay. It was a good 20 feet. He goes, oh, Mikey, you forgot your biscuit. Picks up the biscuit, throws yeah. it across the room. Throws it across the room, and I literally just like catch it like that. Because I've always played these games when I was a kid, like throwing up, like doing stuff like this. You know, I'm constantly like throwing things in the air, throwing my phone in there. I've always done this. I knew it wasn't a wasted skill. I knew it wasn't a wasted skill. So, anyway, but I caught the biscuit like that. And I swear to God, he was quite chill all day, but his eyes lit up like that, like right, like deer in the headlights. I think he was quite impressed by that. I think subconsciously he was like, "Okay, we can bring this guy in the team." He 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 must have, he must have been just impressed by the fact just the, the, the hand-eye coordination. I don't know what it was. I don't think okay. he was impressed by my reading skills. It was the, it was the biscuit, and okay. I kept that biscuit when I took I kept it when I took it home. I didn't open it. I thought it was somehow cursed. If I opened the biscuit, it would somehow the project would die. So I left the biscuit until I was on the plane on set. True story. And you said, I don't know what he did to the biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where it is now, but I was I was really convinced that if I opened that biscuit, the opportunity would somehow end. I got pretty superstitious. Yeah. So you're you're basically turning this into you're saying that the whole of acting is a bit like Game of Thrones. You have to play chess. <laughs> yeah, it's hundred it's hundred percent Game of Thrones. I mean, look, you can only do what you can. The, what do they say in Tarantino film? That that the object of the the, uh, the objective of the actor is to minimize all the, the 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 chances of failure, you know, and just increase your likelihood of succeeding. So if that means drinking loads of water not getting mashed up the night before, reading your script every 20 minutes so you can memorize it, going for jogs so it can increase the sort of um, the endorphins in your brain. Everything you can do to maximize your efficiency, you should do it. You're never going to actually achieve it, but if you can make yourself 5% better, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Well, one, one of the things that I found with like, comedians that are quite, up, quite high up and even actors as well like they're, they're very charismatic and confident and friendly with people and they're very they're very good at chart getting on with people mm. and that's something i don't think that gets spoken of enough yeah a lot of them a lot i mean look i've met some comedians that aren't like that at all but maybe because they're at that position where they're just you know it's just they've probably been on seven shows that week whereas i might have been on two that week or one yeah. so i'm like hey let's make the most of it they're like Look, let me just do the show. I've got, I've got somewhere to be tomorrow. I've got to be in Spain tomorrow. So yeah, I could have mis misconstrued that. But 
I think a lot of comedians, yeah, you're right. They're charismatic, they're social. Maybe some of them are sociopaths, actually, you know, but that's another story. In acting as well, though, definitely in both. There's a, there's a lot of that. 100%. 100%. How much do you think? It... One of the things that I've always thought of is if you make it to the top and you've, 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 if you you've chopped over every possible person and there's no morals at all i mean i think could that be a reason why some celebrities at the top go into drugs and completely fuck themselves up because they find it difficult to live with the things they've done and dealing with with all the with all the abuse from other people because they're already unstable they're so they're so needy of it that they'll do anything to get it yeah I mean, look, this could have been a part of their lifestyle to begin with. Like, you got people like Matthew Perry, Chandler from Friends. Like, he was on an interview saying that the whole time during Friends, he was pretty much on cocaine and, and, and a cocktail of drugs. So you got someone who is successful, is living the life, but still hiding this dark secret from everybody, right? Yeah. Then you got people like Robin Williams, who might not have been, I think he was taking drugs, but you got Robin yeah. Williams, God rest his soul, fantastic comedian. But you got people like that who, um, well, according to the comedian world, he was stealing jokes from everybody, right? He's he's yeah. he's a well-known joke thief. Now, if I said that to any of my friends who never knew that, who aren't comedians, A, they wouldn't care. B, they don't even know what a joke thief is anyway. And C, they were like, well, he did the best of it. He's Robin Williams, so he deserves it. So you see what I mean? There's a sort of like a disconnect there, right? But in the comedian world, nobody was kind of defending him even after his suicide because he actually ruined, he suicided quite a lot of people's careers. You know, by uh, stealing their 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 yeah. Pets. If you look at the full story, that might be part of the reason for what caused it. And it's yeah, it's the th the worst thing about being a comedian is that people treat if you talk about joke thievery and all those things, they treat it very lightly, like it doesn't mean anything. And the thing that does it, there is a lot of it go on even at the top level. I mean, like there's a comedian who I won't say the name of. But he copied another professional comedian's bit and he got to go on Jonathan Ross's show. And he got got the other comedian to take that clip down, comparing the two clips. And he's now on TV, he's on Famous, he's doing all that. And people, a lot of people in comedy are still treating him, you know, like they're cool with him because they're too scared to do anything about it. Wow. So you're saying that the comedian who wrote the material he got asked to take the original video down for copyright yeah. infringement on his own stuff. No, not copyright infringement, but he got asked to take it down because, you know, they, the agency, they don't want their act to look bad. Wow, that's insane. So look, this stuff is going to happen if nobody stands up and defends it, but it seems, I don't know, that's a natural sort of response from people. They like to, they don't, they don't want trouble, basically. They're just... Well, Mass Notecast, who was a former comedian, he copied quite a few that were higher up. You probably giggled him a few times, maybe. Who's this? Mass Notecast. Sounds familiar. But he, he was doing quite well before, but he, because he wasn't so high up, yeah. people were able to bring him down and take him down. And a few other comedians who tried doing that. But once they get higher up and they got power, it's much harder to take him down. Yeah, once you're up there, you're up there. You you literally, that's the benefit. You become a made man, you know? And once you're a made man, you can't just get whacked. People will defend that. And you, and obviously there's people, there's a vehicle behind you, you know? And there's people, that's their, that's their money earner. That's their cash cow. 
They're not going to let you destroy their name. Even if they believe you, they're like, you know, we can't do that. It's like what's happening to James Franco at the moment. I don't know what he's done or not done, but the point is that the reason why he'll probably get away with it as such is because there's loads of people invested in the James Franco brand. Agents, producers, lawyers, they ain't going to have that after like some email or text or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's the same with um, Louis C.K. That's why he got away with it for so many years. I think, and Harvey Weinstein, people people were too scared and it took a brave soul to get it going and then everyone went on top of it. Right. So yeah, what did, I didn't, I'm, I'm still confused on what Louis C.K. actually did. Is he in the same level as Harvey Weinstein? I'm not no, sure. No, no. He's no, just no. a bit of a pervert, did a bit of a fiddle in front of women. He didn't force them to do any business right. that we know of with him. This is what I don't understand. I'm not I'm not I'm not condoning um, sex workers, but there's plenty of sex workers all around the world that are happily to do take part in these sex acts for money. So I don't understand why these rich and powerful men have to kind of get their sex from all their kicks from like random people, especially ones who could potentially like could could call them out on it, could take them to court could speak about it in a microphone why would you go kind of why would you that's what i need to be explained i think it's because they get a big ego boost and saying like you're my bitch i can do what i want to you ha right. ha they get that maybe there's a feeling of powerlessness that happened from when they were younger right. and that's why they they want to get high up to try and fill that need and right. so when they're in a position of power they're like right i can try and whatever they say that money and power reveals who someone is yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like in that show in Peep Shop. Uh, uh, was it Peep Show? That's it. When he goes to the guy, uh, yeah, here's 20 quid. Go down the road for me and get me a Twix. And the guy's like, what, Twix? He's like, ah, oh, you were going to do it, weren't you? So it's kind of like the, the people like to play that. That Yeah, it's called, what's it, domination, isn't it? People like yeah. to dominate just to, just to see if they could do that. So that's, that's, that's it in itself. It wasn't really about the sex. It was about, as you're saying, it's about um, the power play. Yeah. And it's one thing that I want to chat about with all these different experiences you've had and things. How did you like end up being in the, so going from the comedy world, how did you end up being with a place filled with pranksters and filled doing pranks on people where they're probably bonkers and there's there's a you don't know who you're dealing with you could be dealing you know the sociopaths in comedy but you're dealing with psychopaths in the street that could probably harm you and not sort you out proper there were there were many there were many incidences where they probably weren't broadcast for our own safety but there's many times you're dealing with the real life public you know so a little bit that on stand-up is cool you know crowd control you know but it's kind of uh tame crowd control so in the in the street i kind of used a little bit of that um and the fact that most of the pranksters didn't come from a stand-up comedy background so i had a little bit more of the edge i had a little bit more of the the, the how do i say it? i've been through the bombings and the, yeah. the stages. so to bomb in the street at a bus stop isn't as bad as bombing in front of like everybody when you're trying to do a competition and say you're this funny so i kind of like that i kind of was on that that vibe I like dressing up the costumes, the characters, 
Um, that's the cool thing about working with the pranksters and troll station because every week, every idea that I put forward, they say, what do you want to do this week? I said, I've always wanted to be this. All right, cool. Let me, let, we'll call you back in a minute. They'll call me back and be like, yeah, we got the costume. So it'd be like they had the TFL costume or um, if we did a rave at the London Underground, they would get all the equipment. They would get all the decks, the party supplies. So they, they kind of did a very cool thing of just making the things happen. And I don't think it would have happened without them, you know? But how, how, how did, so how did the whole troll station thing get created and how did you get involved with them? Did they, did they go on fiverr.com and call you or what, what did they go down your address? Did they see you at a gig and like, yo mate, yeah, you fucking come down here now, son. Yeah. I think it's the third one. It's the third one. So again, stand up brought me into it. Me doing a gig with, uh, uh, you remember the militant black guy? He doesn't go by that now, but Todju, Todju yeah. comedian. Yeah. So yes, Todju, great comedian, been around for such a long time, doing amazing work, um, and he's had quite some great successes. But he was doing a show in South London. He was trying to film like his comedy pilot special, right? Yeah. And for whatever reason, it didn't go particularly well because there wasn't a lot of people there, or it was like it was it was, it was the wrong time. We filmed it at like 1 p.m. in the day. So actually, it was quite a lot of people there, actually, to be fair. But he's better off in a nightclub at night. Yeah. Sort of vibes. Not like 1 p.m. when the sun's shining through and there's no stage lights. Felt more like a Shakespeare in the globe or something. Um, so yeah, anyway, Gomez, which is one of the, the pranksters in Troll Station. And at this time, I think they only had like 4,000 subscribers. Okay. It was a really early stages and they're kind of going in and out of members people were joining people were leaving the next week so there wasn't a stable kind of crew back then so it was really early stuff and then gomez saw me and he said oh it's funny we're doing some pranks you were doing some prank stuff bro just come bro so we did it he said have you got an idea and my first idea was the inception idea and because okay. i just saw the movie ah. i said can we do inception so that's what I liked about them. They were making all my weird movie dreams, which is stuff I talked about in my stand-up anyway, movies and films. They were making me do that in real life and happy to play like all the other parts. So that's that's it. And how did they create it? Because was it, was it started with uh, Gomez and Nathan and then Digidan got involved and yeah, all the... Yeah, I mean, it, it started because no, well, Nathan and Gomez had their own thing going on. I can't remember the name of it, ADHTV or something, AHTV. Okay, that's still going. But they, they've, they've had their partnership for a while. Digi Dan was actually the creator of it, and he, um, he did the, He was a director for music stuff like Channel U, Channel AKA. Do you remember that? Okay. Yeah, so I remember watching them as a kid. Just that channel, you know, it was the Grime Channel, and they had all these. Everyone had a music video. That's why it was cool because everyone had these sort of low budget music videos. Even if the song didn't get famous, you would know it because you'd be like, oh yeah, I saw you on channel AKA. So lo and behold, that was him. I think something happened with him in the music industry where I think he just got banned from the music industry or something like that. I, can't, I don't know the full ins and outs, but he's quite notorious. So he kind of started a new thing. He wanted to start a comedy thing. And he had this big dream, this bit very, he has very big ideals, big dreams, big plans. And he saw it. He said, I'm going to get 10 comedians and we're going to just change everything. And I don't know why pranks. So I was kind of late to that, but okay. he did it. He pulled it off. He put 10 people together that 10 or so, some went in, some went out that don't know each other. We're all from different parts of London. 
but we joined forces like Avengers and just made it happen, really. And I think we're all pissed off at the time as well. Hmm. The only thing that I remember about Channel AKA was, are you going to bang that? And that's yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. Are you, are you going to bang? Which is one of the most, uh, if you can play that now, it's one of the most brilliant songs in the world, isn't it? But it's true. Yeah, it's an awesome song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it's, and what was, what was the journey about it? So you, you did all these pranks and like, did you just like, you picked up who looks the most fucked up person and we'll go and talk to them and do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you, you, you kind of set it up. You, you have a time frame, you know, you, you get there at one and be like, you honestly, you didn't leave until you get the right reaction. And a few times we, we used to get like shouted at by um, Digi, who was filming the stuff because he'll be across the road sometimes filming it. And he would just come across the road and be like, what are you doing? You just wasted that. Like, it would be a great person to do it to. But if we didn't engage with them enough or turned it up on camera, it just looks tame. So he was like, do it again, do it again. But obviously we couldn't do it too many times because you're running out of time. So we just had to like, how do I say it? Just engage. I just remember that, it's that word, engage, engage. You didn't engage. So just really yeah. kind of step up, pick anyone. And by that point, when you're getting shouted at by the director, I didn't care. Like we went up, to, we would go out to police anybody. Just want that shot. It's got to be good. It was a waste of costume because you're being a flipping, you know, you're being a costume. But like, well, it's a waste of it's a waste of like all this effort if nothing happens. Did you get to keep it? <laughs> <laughs> Where I don't know who kept the stuff actually. Where is it? I think there was a pilot costume somewhere. That's the one I wanted. I don't Maybe. know where this stuff is. Maybe he sold some of it. I don't know. <laughs> it got ripped and stained and stuff. I don't think you even want to wear it anymore. I think that's what it was. A lot of it just got stained and ripped, like done. Costume just like expired. Souvenir to your fans. <laughs> I should have. Like, I didn't have the foresight. I didn't know. I didn't know it would be successful. That's the thing. I mean, I can see it. Be I can see it being successful. I can see the channel growing. But I didn't know to... Be a bit conscious of it. I think that's why it's kind of cool, the station, because we didn't milk it really. But how did it? What was the point where it started getting traction? And like, what was the video? What was the point where people were like, yo, this this is a shit? Um, I think about like twelve thousand or fifteen thousand subscribers or something. But then it kept growing up. And I think when the videos were getting like, I mean, some viral got a million views, but. I think when my videos started getting like, like 100,000, 200,000, and then the comments started coming in and like um, people had their favorite troll station member as well. So it was cool. Like they became, the comments are the most funniest thing. It became a whole community. You know, someone would say something bad about me and then they have 400 people going, I don't know. So I didn't even have to say anything. So it was, that's when I knew it was getting big. Yeah. And what 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 were, what were troubles with the law or like with all these other things? What what were incidents where you had adverse reactions? Because <laughs> I saw there was quite a few. You were talking to a Colombian um, manje lady, and she says you're doing the Arnold impression. She says it's in a public place. You cannot make noise. And you said, okay, mate. <laughs> That's a public place. You can't do that. Yes. It's a public place. It's a public place. <laughs> like Colombia. All right. Yeah, so um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of instances with law. I mean, at the end of the day, 
if you want to know the real reason why Troll Station doesn't exist, it's because the police, Metropolitan Police, pretty much shut it down. Like, they didn't physically shut it down because they couldn't do that, but they definitely made enough threats about all of our lives and said they would make things quite difficult. Um, they actually brought Troll Station into the police to have like a sort of meeting with the head because it was creating so much stir and there were so many copycats and so many things. So they, they, they had to regulate us. So they basically said, if you perform your pranks again, you need to call us and so we can, we'll, we'll give you permission to do it, but, but we don't like you doing it and we don't know where you're gonna be sort of thing. So cooperate with us. Again, I didn't have time to think about this because the head of the troll station group immediately was like, now nah, we ain't gonna work with you. We ain't gonna talk to you. So that pissed them off a bit more because they did try to reach the, the show, the olive branch, you know what I mean? Yeah. They did, try to, they did try to go, look, all right, you ain't going anywhere. You're too loud, but rather being enemies, can we try and work together and maybe, but they were being a bit long. They're like, maybe you can't do it on the Mondays, but the weekends, you know, so they were kind of trying to get their stuff in it. But anyway, that being said, uh, at least three, two thirds of the troll station members went to prison for the art gallery prank. Yeah. So they ended up, I think, spending at least six months in prisons each. And he did as well. I mean, it's it's did you done? And it, it's, I mean, it, it's sort of. I mean, it's had a big plot in all of their lives. I mean, you guys, some of them can't get jobs. They can't live, do other things. It's completely limited them, hasn't it? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. I mean, yeah, I mean, when you think about what is it for, they weren't really being violent. I mean, there's people that have actually done violent crimes that have spent less jail time than that. And what did they do? They just did a bit of a prank, an art thing. Would Sasha Baron Cohen go to prison for something he did? He's done more outrageous stuff. Yes. But, but he won't go to prison for that. No. Because of his social economic background and so forth. But if some guys... And this is a sad thing as well. The only reason why Troll Station existed is because these guys were actually good actors that weren't getting any opportunities because of their social economic background. So they took matters into their own hands and made something because they wanted to have some sort of life. Yeah. And that still got, you know, they still got stabbed in the back. So I actually really feel sorry for them in the, in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things because it came out of place of just artistic expression. It came out of place just doing something. It's, it's impacted so many people's lives. And at the end of the day, they've got nothing to show for it except for like prison sentences and things like that. So like yeah. I said. I've seen, I've seen that some of the members are still trying to do something about it, like uh, Gomez and Nathan. And then there's there's some, I've seen now Troll Station produce like a video once a year and that's it. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I have been on the channel every now and again. I've been, to be honest, the, I've watched actually some back, uh, some, some of the old videos back. And to be honest, it ages really well. But so when I was watching it the first time, I was like, oh, this is cringy. But now it's actually like a fine wine. It's actually showing us what life was like back in, you know, 2015, 2016. Good old days when people used to interact and smile and talk um, and you could touch people. Do you remember those days um, when you're not locked in your so. house like a like a like a caged animal? So it reminds me of them old days. And then, yeah, and then so many different ideas on there so even if you don't like one particular idea there's like 500 600 videos and they're all like raw 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 you get a reaction from somebody you even get some cool performance from one of the troll station members 
or you get some cool interaction with somebody in the public. You're like, holy, who is that? So it's brilliant. Is there still a, do you still have a big relationship with a few of the people from the troll station? I would say so. Yeah, definitely. I think me, Gomez, Nathan, even Darky, uh, Java hit me up as well. Like there's, they all do as well. I've been working with Gomez and Nathan. We've kind of done like little few short films and stuff. We're going to do some stuff in the future. They did some acting for me. I'm always going to hire them every time. If I come up with a project, they're my number one actors to go to. If they're free, if they're available, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, definitely the others as well. There's love. I just, I'm not in the same area as them. So it's hard to see them, but they will call me. I think they had, there was a, there was a meetup with them the other day because they were trying to do some other project. Um, and yeah, they, they showed love. They brought me around. So I did get to see like six of them again. So yeah, yeah. And it's all love. It's all love. Really. Will, will it, will the remnants of that channel come back and like you'll do, you maybe so you are sort of building it but will it ever be a remnant of it was like where you groups of you will will build like a, a same sort of thing like a whole project like a whole comedy youtube channel series or something well i don't know if people would want that like if they do i, I would love to do something like that again i think the right time will come um will it be under the troll station banner probably not because yeah. i think yeah it's just like that has there's so much taint in that and i think just leave it on that high that it yeah. was i think so i think i think i'll be unwise to go back into that but definitely i think maybe yeah i don't know who knows who knows i'm up for it. i just saw when i was seeing the pranks the other day i was like oh i ordered myself some costumes i don't even know i've got some silly costumes here that i just ordered i've ordered like some flatable sofa and stuff because i have this idea of going back on the street again and just doing some work you know going back and building something up I generally love doing it, so um, never say never. What What was one of the craziest things? What's the craziest thing that happened to you whilst you were doing those pranks? Mm. I think uh, oh god, it's just in my mind. Uh, the Tower of London guy was a bit crazy. That there was like the police officer who came for me in the Tower of London, but he was like an undercover officer. You can't see it on screen properly, but way he's holding my arm, he was actually breaking me, like trying to break my arm. Um, but he was doing it very calm. So he was such an asshole, like this guy, whoever he is. But he, the way he did it, even though no, the people in the comments clocked it, like, yo, what's he doing with his arm? And I was staying in character. I never break character. So only when the director says cut, do I drop the accent? So that must have wound him up a bit more because I'm just, just constantly like, Trolling, 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 never breaking character, insinuating things, just being being really kind of a bit of an ass. But yeah, as I was doing that, he was kind of like bending my arm in three different places at the same time. So I was just like trying not to faint from it. So there's loads of little things like that. London Zoo, that was crazy. What happened there? Did Were you the ones that pissed on the animals? <laughs> no, there was no pissing on animals evolved. Um, no, but just entering London Zoo shouldn't have been. Maybe I shouldn't have confessed to this. Okay, I'll get this bit out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, London Zoo was cool. Yeah, yeah. And so, and talking about pranks, we spoke about this before the podcast. But could you tell us about your your store with Jack Jones and how that came oh, about? Fake Jones. Um, yeah. So he he 
this is when I was working in Soho. So I just had a job working in a uh, whiskey shop in Soho. It was really cool. And it was just like, um, it was at the weekend. So it was actually just good money, just getting like some cash in hand. And I usually go out to a gig. So I'm there on a, on a Saturday and it's the daytime. Jack Jones goes by. And then he's asking me, um, he says, hey, um, I make pranks. I said, I know you are. He said, uh, yeah, I just need you to do a reaction, do something like that. And he wasn't asking me because he knew who I was. He was just asking me because he asked everybody to do his video. Yeah. So 99% of his videos are absolutely fake. Um, hence why you see some of those reactions are fake. So anyway, I do it. I say, yes, of course. He says, can you pretend there's a, a Russian hitman coming to get you? So I just go for it anyway. But the reason why I did it is so that people could see that it was fake. And yeah. lo and behold, some people did clock on the comments. You shouldn't have put it in the video clip, but people clocked on the comments go, hey, that's the guy from da 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 da. So they would know I wouldn't react like that, you know? Yeah. So I just did that to kind of expose it without being um, a hater and malicious and going, hey, you're fake yeah. and all this. So I didn't want to do it like that. So I did it in a sort of a smart way by going, all right, if I'm in this video, the ones that know will know. But I don't think most people care anyway about um, fake pranks. No. I do personally, I think it sucks. Well, it ruins the whole point, didn't it, of, of doing it, It's if it's all acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, after Troll Station, Troll Station was the first and the last real prank channel. After that, I think most of these people were copycats and they, they were fakes. Yeah, I've seen a lot of them. Loads of, yeah. loads of copycats of Troll Station. Yeah, and it proves it. That's why they all succeeded as individuals and Troll Station members. Like, either went to prison, got broke, or on the run. Oh, on the run. <laughs> yeah. Or they can't disclose any of the information because it would be too like incriminating. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, but I mean, you must, it was, it was a fun time though. It was like a roller coaster, I'm guessing for you, because you never knew what was going to happen. And you, you would yeah. have all these scary moments and all these fun things as well. Yeah. And I, when you say like that, I, I, I think that's so cool. I think at the time I was like, yeah, it was a roller coaster, but at the time I was kind of like, why, well, you know, I just kind of like highs and lows, highs and lows, highs and lows. But I think because we were going through such lows at the time, remember a lot of us, we were, I was trying to build up my comedy career. I didn't have any money. Hmm. Every, just, just having to do a prank and then go to work the next day. And then, not, do you know what I mean? Like all this sort of stuff was going on at the same time. So it wasn't complete like, no, everything is fine. It was more like, damn, we've got to do something because our lives are so shit. So that's kind of, that motivated us. But with a lot of the social media stuff, it's not actually the money you get from the views themselves. It's mm. more from the sponsorship where a lot of people make the money with. Because yeah. with YouTube, it doesn't pay that much. But TikTok, it pays even less. Yeah, yeah. But here's the funny thing, because Troll Station was so anti-establishment, and kept sticking it to the man every time, even when they were trying to, uh, I can't even say the full stories, but even when they were trying to reach out, the head of the team would do things to piss them off basically on purpose because he doesn't like authority. He doesn't like establishment. He doesn't like corporations. So even when the corporations were trying to do a deal, he would basically like fuck it up in some sort of way. So his ego got in the way of things. 100%. 100%. So there were times, 
even though, but, but it wasn't the most commercially friendly thing. So it was very hard to get a contract, but some people would clock it. Some dangerous brands, you know, that kind of want to appeal to certain youth groups. They'll be like, yeah. we get it. We get it. Our, our clients are a bit scared to go with you, but we can kind of get you in. Just do this and do this. They wouldn't call back. They wouldn't turn up to the meeting. They would do, do, do stupid stuff, really. So it was just sabotaged, really, from the beginning. So there's no point, you know what I mean, getting to that level, and then you can't make, like, business connections. Yeah. Then what are you doing? You're just, just running around. And then everyone, other people afterwards are going to take advantage of that. Yeah. And everybody else just copied our whole formula, but don't do this, don't do that, and sell out a little bit more. And then, the, you know, the TV presenters now, they they just went on to different careers, you know. The thing I find quite funny is, like, I've seen the chicken prank that Nathan did. And on TikTok, I've seen so many people repeat that prank. Even Tommy Fury from Love Island. Has he? Yeah, he goes, tell me about this chicken. I need to tell about this chicken. I just want to say, it's a fucking oh. lovely chicken. Oh, that. Yeah, I like that one. Who cooked this chicken? Yeah. Who cooked this chicken? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have done it. A lot of people. I think Chobadi G robbed me. The guy, um, no, I don't know if he did that, but somebody messaged me and goes, you know, Chobadi D stole your whole character, by the way. Um, for, um, I can't remember. Uh, one of the Indian managers I did, it was an Indian manager character. And that was his whole thing, how he's a failed manager. Um, ah. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, he's taking it into a whole new direction. But that was the character that he's the Indian manager. That's your D's Indian manager. So, what do you think's the difference between someone copying it and taking credit, taking not giving credit for it? But, but what's the point where they take ideas but create their own with it? Because I see that we do learn from other people. And I think it's okay if you turn it into your own brand, your own thing, and you be creative. You know, you take a little bit of inspiration, a tiny little bit from this person, that person, and you put it together and you create your own thing. I see that as being okay. But when you see something and you try and become that. So if I see Arnold Schwarzenegger and I try and copy his lifestyle and become him yeah. and do everything like him, that's not right. That's pathetic and sad. Yeah. But if I use like his work ethic his determination, his will, and how he was able to do all these different things together. Like he worked in construction, did acting lessons, and was Mr. Olympia, and conquered all of those things. That is good. Mm. Yeah, I think 100%. Like, and look, and I, I'm, an, I'm I, you know, I did impressions as well, so I can't talk about not copying, because that's, that's, yeah. that's what impressionist does, like imitate. So take what I say with a pinch of salt as well. And I wasn't saying, you know, individuals copied it. But what I'm trying to say is that that fans messaged me to say that. That's it was, So it wasn't my opinion. It was somebody that messaged me and goes, hold on, I've seen some similarities between this work and this work. And I feel like that's what you were doing. That being said, um, I think the best way to be an artist is to take little bits that you're inspired by. Like you could, you could, you could want to write something that's like David Brent, for example. Yeah. Right. Now, Someone could easily go, oh, that's just that's just David Brent. And that's if you have the sort of overweight boss in a sort of shit area, right? But if you take the same David Brent, not the mannerisms, but the whole concept of him being a loser that doesn't know he's a loser, 
trying to be everybody's friend, but failing at the same time. You could take that concept and just put it in another another person. Put that in Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, yeah. that'd be fine. So, yeah. Completely agree. The kindergarten cop, but him being a loser. Yeah, kindergarten cop. Yeah, yeah. It's not a tumor. At all. <laughs> Who's your daddy and what does he do? Yeah, this whole session, guys, listening back on is just going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger impressions. <laughs> it's dipped in and out. It's dipped in and out. Oh, God. I miss him. I One of the things I want to say with you being like an impressionist, is it true that you can do 3,000 voices? Is that true? Who said that? I saw on an article online that someone said that you are the man with 3,000 voices. 3,000 voices. What, do I have to prove it now? Yes. No. no. <laughs> but then I am. <laughs> but I'll be about, yeah. But how, how many would, well, actually, that's the question I'm going to ask is a bit long-winded. I'm guessing you've lost count of the voices you can do. That's the, that's the correct answer. I can do 2,999. I know for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, and some, some I do voices of people that you haven't even met. And I've done voices for people that haven't been born yet. So, but they've been done voices of like teachers, uh, people from real lives, celebrities, actors. Uh, there's a whole range. There's a whole range. And that must help with your, your acting. Do, do you, do you, so people often think with an impressionist, it's just you imitating your voice. But it's a lot more than that, isn't it? And that must help you become a better actor. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, if you're lucky enough to have a role where you can actually change the, the tenacity of your voice and actually adopt, like, another speech pattern, not just the dialect or accent, but you can actually adopt maybe a time period or a certain level of gruffness to the voice and change the age, then that would be cool. You probably do more stuff like that in theatre, but... As a screen actor, I've never had to, the opportunity to do that fully yet. However, I uh, am doing American roles. So most of the time I'm in the film, I'll be an American accent for some but reason. Does that pay, pay a part in it? Because with Kit Harrington, yeah. is that a voice you think he's deliberately put on rather than, it's just, rather than him just doing a Northern accent? Do you think right. he deliberately went out to create that particular voice? Well, was it Jon Snow soaring yeah. visions in the fire? Man's Raider, it's got an army, 100,000 men, White Walkers. I've seen them in fire, visions. I like that. Um, I think he had a cool voice, but he's really posh, isn't he? He's quite well-spoken. Um, but he's the real deal. He actually is a Lord, you know, in real life, or son of a Lord or something like that. So, yeah, yeah I mean, he can do accents, can't he? So you've got to be able to do accents, I think. Because... Um, one of the things I did a bit of in the clown workshop with Mick Barnfather, when you're playing a character, they give you a mask. And the first thing you do is you try and figure out the configuration of the character through the facial expressions. And then you find the voice and the movements by see, taking the face of the mask and doing their, their expression. And then you go to that stage. And is that something you do when you're doing a voice? Like you look at it first, you watch their mouth and the body language and the mannerisms, and then you, you copy that first, and then do you go about repeating the sound and then recording it and doing all that? Are you talking about, like, so for an impression or something like that? Yeah, when you're trying to do a voice. Yeah, yeah, impression. Um, yeah, no mask or anything like that. To be honest with you, impression is like when you watch a film that you've seen them do, like, at least, like, three or four times, 
um, or it's actually it's it's getting the hook. Sometimes it's just one word, right? Okay. So they'll do they'll just do one word like Arnie's is like enough, sit down. Why? And no, actually, it's like Jamie gets your mother. Jamie, put the cookie down, down, back. I'll be back. Why? So once you get that down, you just like then you can start doing his whole his whole pattern. So everybody's got that one little hook. It's a tick. And usually it's basically like for me, it's like riding a bike. You know, you put you change the gears. Yeah. Sometimes you have to look, I, I want to put a camera down my throat to see, but I can definitely feel my vocal cords shifting to change, you know. Do you do Wait. any what's it called slap or toffee exercise before you do a voice or any of that? Hell no. Sort of... <laughs> Hell no. I've never had to do any of this sort of stuff. I think it just comes quite naturally. I think it's basically like you hear it. It's like you hear the the the. I can't describe it. It's like you. It's like a piece of music. You hear their tone, and you know when you're okay. doing it or not. It's like singing, really. But I've never had to do any warm up. I just kind of just hear it, and then I kind of repeat it back. And did, did you do that when you did that raptor noise? Did you just sort when it goes goo goo and you were like, right, that's that's my entry. Goo yeah. goo. <laughs> I'm so crap at it now, but like, no, that's just no, because I generally wanted to know who does those voices in those films. Like Jurassic Park, I'm like, because it's meant to be a scary scene, but I'm actually start laughing because it would just be like they were cried like in a room somewhere, hiding from this monster, and you just hear. Or wherever it is, I'm doing it really bad now. But and you're just like, who's? <laughs> oh I'm out of shape. You're trying to kill me, Marvin. Sorry, man. Oh, I got to warm up for this stuff now. I think I think I'm not as like springy when I was younger, man. I was just right, doing do, it do, do the do this stuff. Oh, yeah, where's the toffee now? <laughs> I was like, who's doing that? So, somebody got paid to do those voices. That's what we need to think about. We're in the wrong industry. That's amazing. Right. But what I hear with one thing that I find quite interesting about you doing the dinosaur noises is that they put so many different animals together, like with Chewbacca and the dinosaurs. They put tigers, panthers, dogs, and they just change the frequency to create those effects. Yes, yes. Because the T Rex one is kind of, I can't even do it, but it's like, it's <laughs> got. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that they they blended three things like an alligator and a dog and yeah, it. yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing, absolutely cool. But when you're because they do so many things together, if you're doing an impression, it do you have to pick a certain pitch? Yeah, otherwise you can't copy all of those. Yeah, yeah, you got to pick like I mean, some I've heard some comedians can do it all, but I mean, look, you you, you pick one sort of style of it. Like okay. you, you pick like the high version, the low version. You gotta find your way, really, and it can adapt. You know. I noticed you did a bit of beatboxing in hip hop with the Arnie voice. Does that mm. also fall into beatboxing? What what you said there when you're trying to do a certain thing? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm no stretch of the imagination. I'm a. Am I a good beatboxer? I don't think I am. I think I'm like actually really crap as a beatboxer. But I could do a few little beats. So it was kind of cool to bring that in there. Um, and it's just this to, to all your listeners, any talent that you can do, bring it into your stand-up comedy. And I just was just following that advice. And I was trying to see, okay, you can beatbox. We'll do a joke where you beatbox. And the crowd kind of love it. 
I think it's something that's quite interesting for them. It's very like crowd pleaser stuff. Um, and it takes up a good two minutes of your set as well, which is brilliant. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? That's is that one of the things that you want to try out when you get back on stage as a stand-up because you're saying that you want to do sort of music poetry with your set. It makes it easier than just doing straight one-liners. Right. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I want. I want. I definitely. I don't want to make it like a musical comedy thing, but I would love the idea of definitely kind of taking time with it and having it more of an act and a journey and not feeling like you do have to go bam, 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 one liner, one liner, one liner. So the other day, me and my wife, bam, 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 you know? We went to the park, we, we saw a dog, we gave it a stick, gave it some chocolate, bish, bosh. Now it's my pet. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. None of that. No. Um, the other day, can I just say, have you ever been to Sainsbury's? Such a long, you know, none of that. Or train spot. Train spot. Train spot and do. Right. Like a bit of train spotting. But how long on average would you say, what impressions do you, as an impressionist, is there certain types of impressions that you struggle with more than others? Have you become, and how long does it often take for you to get to get an impression right? How long does it take? Um, yeah, so some ones you struggle with, it's easier, I've spoken to other impressionists, it's easier when somebody's broken that boundary of doing the impression, because then you kind of understand it, you're like, oh, like Donald Trump or like, you know, you know, Milani, can I just say, it's all going to be huge as soon as the first person worked out. But I like to do a different Donald Trump when he's sort of screaming a little bit louder, like, Milani, okay, it's going to be huge down here, kind of stuff. But then sometimes he shouts and it gets a little louder. You know, it's back down here. But can you do Joe Biden? So ways you can do <laughs> yeah, I can do Joe Biden. It's boring. He says nothing. Or he's he's sorry, I've forgotten your name again. <laughs> yeah. Creepy sleepy Joe Biden. Now, one thing that I also found quite interesting about you, you're and we spoke about this before. Um what's so you you you're you're in collaboration with the Greater London Foundation. What is that? Tell us about it and tell us the story there. Yeah, sure. So the Greater London Youth Foundation, they've been going around for quite some time. But over the last year or two, I've been doing a drama workshop on every Sunday, which is kind of universal. Most people can come to that session. And we've got people from all around the world, like literally every single continent around the world. We make like, um, well, basically, I'm kind of trying you telling them all about our world as stand up comedians and actors and kind of giving them their insight. We have some people who are over the age of 30, but most of them are under the age of 30. They're in their 20s, they're in their teens. So they didn't get the upbringing that me and you had, because obviously this world's been COVID for the last three years. So they can't go to the drama club. They don't have, even though the, I've had some of these poor experiences as I like to call them, the way that you're talking to me right now, Marvin, is making me realize that we're actually quite lucky and quite rich to have these experiences, right? Yeah. So I'm giving them that knowledge back but also I'm challenging them. We're doing some crazy script work. We actually filmed like 
using the Zoom stuff and made like an online, like kind of like a TV show, little play. So we're doing loads of stuff like that. I'm getting them agents, I'm getting them auditions. So it's, it's basically doing some great work uh, with young people and kind of training them to be great actors. So this is fantastic. Uh, and is it, and anything that's is it a particular genre or just any old person? Could it be like posh top Bill that <laughs> that does it as well? Yeah, I mean, welcome to if he if he actually wants to come posh top Bill, that's fine. <laughs> I haven't. Do you know what it is? It will get to the stage where I might have to like vet it and be like, yo, only certain people can come. But everyone's been well behaved and respectful, and. Um, I'm, I just want to see as many people there as I can. So it's always full. There's always people there every Sunday. I haven't missed a Sunday. There's always like over like 20 people there, you know? Okay. So I don't want to kick people out and go like, all right, you can't come, you can, can't come. But if you haven't been an actor before, which most of them haven't, then you're all young to me. I don't care if you're 35 and somebody's 15. If you haven't acted before, I'm going to tell you the same information as I'm going to teach them, right? It's not yeah. like an adult version and a young version. It's just the version. Yeah, it's because in, in, in that, that field, you're a baby. Yeah, yeah, you are a baby. Even if you're 50 years old and you haven't acted, I'm going to speak to you the same way. I'm going to speak to the 19-year-old. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it for the 19-year-old. I'm going to give them, I'm going to treat them like they're a 50-year-old, if that makes any sense. So basically, you're going to get a, get a baseball bat and you're like, guys, yeah. if you don't get it right... You're getting sorted. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I don't even say you're getting sorted. I just hit them with the baseball bat. <laughs> it's going straight in for the violence. Of course. You That's know. love. That's love, guys. See, I have a lot. So you like heart. Gordon Ramsay then? Are you like, it's fucking raw. It's fucking raw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's raw. <laughs> That's I like that, Gordon Ramsay. He's like, we had loads of customers. We had loads of customers, Gordon. You didn't see. There's nobody here. Oh, I love it. Oh, it looks like a donkey's penis. <laughs> How, who does he research? How does he know this stuff? Oh, amazing. Well, he, he has one thing that's interesting about him is he has uh, three chefs that he was inspired by, like yeah. Marcel Grugeon, two French ones, and Marco Pierre White. Mm -hmm. And one of the French ones said to him, that the best thing that ever happened to him was the shit running down his mother's leg. And he said, uh, like, what funny thing with that chef was he used to really, he was a lot harsher than you see Gordon Ramsay now. Yeah. Like if he didn't like something, he would be throwing chickens across, across the other side of the room. And he said, I'd think, oh, this chicken's come alive again. <laughs> Yo, yeah, that's funny as hell. I mean, do you know what? When you watch that show, you probably spend the first 40 minutes thinking, who the hell is this prick? You know, this Gordon Ramsay dude, you know, you kind of think, how dare you talk to somebody like that? But then every time he will show you how to cook it, he'd be like, just get out of the way. Let me show you how it's done. And then he will show you how it's done. And he does it slick, doesn't he? He would just like whisk yeah. the egg together, bam, 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 bam. Put the sauce on, dribble, put it in, fry it. Two seconds, vroom, 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 serve. And he'll do that in like four minutes and everybody spends like an hour doing it, getting all the shit everywhere. It's like, you know, it would be like a souffle or something. He'll just do it quick. And I'm like, all right, this is why he's a G. No, but he's, he's an example of some of just, just working your butt off and studying something very hard. And also if you're too PC and you're too nice, nothing gets done. Yeah. Nothing gets done. 
See, this is what I'm trying to say. If I was Gordon Ramsay and just picked one profession, maybe just to stand up or just to something, I could have been a bit more successful with it. But again, because I'm doing all this variety of stuff, this is what I'm trying to say. This is the detriment of, of, of kind of being multi. Um, it takes a little bit longer. And you're going to need a project, if that makes any sense, you know? Are you going to play with all those genres until you find that one thing that unifies them and that you can sort of sell? Yeah, yeah. If that's what I have to do, that's what I have to do. I mean, what I'm trying to do is just put pieces of work out in every single of these fields, right? So there's something for everything, which will be slowly trickling over the year. I've been spending two years. I've finished so much stuff, but I haven't put it out. So there'll be, there'll be music. There'll be a film. Finished the film already. So it'll be like my longest film, like an hour. Got that. Okay. So, so, so there'll be stuff coming out and I will see what works, but maybe I do have to kind of go, okay, let's do a project. Let's do an alias for three years and then move on to something else. Do you see what I mean? I, I, I don't know what the, what the particular way is. Your, your base, and also is, is part of your, your mindset thinking, I'm going to do a lot of these things yeah. and, and, you want to keep your options open and then once you've once you see which one gives the biggest hit you yeah. will you would if right now my name is bob and i said right forget mary mauser forget uh, miguel from cobra kai forget um kyla i want mikey barge and cobra kai would you take that even though you've got all these things going on mikey barge and well cobra kai the tv show right yeah so if they want me to go join cobra kai the TV show, yeah. And is it, is it, I take it, it is a hit TV show, right? Yeah. Then, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would do it. I would do it because, um, yeah, go on. Is, what is your mindset? You want to keep your options open and then, like, see which catches? Yeah, I, I mean, like, I want to see what sticks. I want to see what sticks because I don't, you know, I'm happy. I could be happy doing each one of those things individually, you know. Um, but for me, if you can do another area and you can do that quite well, why would you give up? Like, if, if you, I treat it like a house, right? We're building a house, a house is the project, but someone might be a carpenter and an electrician and a plumber, right? It's not bad to be all three. No. You can build a house. That's true. So that's what I want to do. I just want to build a house, right? So if I have to write the script and edit it at the same time, I'm not trying to say I'm the best editor in the world, but I can you know so why not how do, how do you balance all those areas without losing skill in either that's a good question i don't think you can lose skill i mean in it because once you do it for for amount of time you just keep doing it it's just going to take a lot longer but do you do little bits of each or do you have periods where you focus one on one more than the other uh little bits of each and then there will be like spikes in something. So for example, right now, I um, aren't playing as much piano as I did, but it's still there. So I will have, I might do piano maybe once every two weeks, half an hour, an hour, maybe three. So that's not a lot, that's not a lot. Because every time I start it up again, I'm like, oh, I forgot that, forgot that. So again, I'm never going to be the world's greatest piano player in the world. I never okay. will be because I don't play it all the time. I'm not going to be a Jimi Hendrix on guitar because I don't play it all the time. That's why Jimi Hendrix is Jimi Hendrix because he never put down the guitar, right? 
However, I can play a Jimi Hendrix song. I can play some good pieces on the piano. And that's, you can't take that away. I can write songs on the piano, but that's the point. So when would this come in handy? All right, I'll tell you how it's come in handy. When I've directed my film now, I had to look for music. And um, a lot of people approached me to make it. So that's why I picked up the piano again. I thought, hold on, why don't I just make the music myself? Then that'll be a cool little credit. It might be fun. I might learn something out of it. And I obviously don't have to pay somebody to go do it. Yeah. So I thought, save myself money, but put in the work. And at the end of the day, yes, it is long. I could have just got someone to do it. But in five years time, I might be watching that film with somebody I love or somebody I'm trying to entertain. They'll be like, whoa, you made the music for that and you filmed it. That's going to be a cool little conversation. So that's how I see it, really. Um, so no, it's kind of weird. I don't think it's necessary for me to learn all this sort of stuff. So yeah, maybe I'm wasting my time. Maybe it's a distraction from uh, from mastering something. I don't know, but I think I'm quite good at all these things um, in, okay. a weird, in a weird way. So you're you're not quite Manchester City Premier League t- title winner, but yeah. are you like? Uh... Who's who's a team that's been promoted this year? A Brentford level in all of them. Brentford level, exactly, exactly. I'm definitely not like beginner stage. I don't okay. even know what Brentford are in terms. Of, I, d- I don't watch football properly, so that's probably not best analogy. Give me another one. You're not you're not quite Novak Djokovic, the world's best tennis player. But right, no, there's all these sports ones. I'm not going to get. <laughs> okay, um, you're not quite uh, Lisa Ann in. <laughs> who's Lisa Ann? A porn star. No. <laughs> oh my God, sports and porn. No, um, you're not, qu- <laughs> you're not, <laughs> you're not quite Kanye West, but you're also not um, an X Factor performer. Right, exactly, exactly. I'm not Kanye West, but I'm at least, you know, I'm on the, yeah, if it's Avengers, I'm not the Credible Hulk, but don't say I'm somebody who's just in the Wakandan army, just in the background. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. All right. And I ain't somebody in bloody Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know what I'm saying, level. No. But I'm definitely in all three of the films. You're definitely a suitable level to be recognized. I'm definitely, yeah, exactly. I'm like. Groot. Or what's it called? Can you do the impression? <laughs> I've, I've, God, no. I'm Groot. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's not a very memorable character. I think that was such a poor character. Like, they paid this guy all this money. I'm like, it could have been anyone. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think, I think think skilled enough to make projects with it. That's what I'm trying to say. That it's skilled enough. But would you go watch me? Look, is it, yeah, look, I don't know. But we're, we're, more to come, more to come, more to come. One of the things I want to ask you about now is what is the guest list network? Oh, guest list. Guest list was a, was a was a magazine newspaper I worked for in East London. So it was one of my first few jobs, and I was just uh, working with like making content for them, helping with their their sort of promotion, a few okay. different things. Uh, and also, you got the what's it called copywriter aspect as well. Yeah, yeah. So now this is what it was just one of those jobs I was trying to get some work in there. And the boss was really cool. His name was Oshi. And um, he was just like really cool, hiring people, firing people, just kind of getting people in who had the right mindset. And I impressed him because I um, 
on the first day he wanted somebody to be a comedy content creator and i just remember over preparing and having like 20 jokes one-liners written down they weren't all good but they were just like i read them really fast so i was like boom 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 don't like that carried on carried on carried on so there was something out of the 20 that he liked there was at least like seven or eight so then basically he said to the guy who also came in to you know come the role but he wasn't prepared he didn't have all that stuff i had he kind of was just making up as he goes along he just went yeah you go home you let's have an hour chat right now and then just hired me then and there so i think that the lesson of that is just always be prepared like go over prepared you're just you're just even if you're not saying the right stuff you'll just impress them because someone will come so underprepared that it will be an insult to not hire you ah so you look so much better are you basically saying this is a bit like a date a love island date where you're having lucinda and you're having two of the other guys and if you come and saying like well mate i've got a six pack i got uh, six hundred thousand pounds I'm, I'm i know everything about you whilst the other guy is five foot four got no muscles he's boring as fuck who are you gonna pick is that what you're trying to say right yeah exactly exactly but we don't know anything the five foot four guy he might be just be just rude enough to to, to actually get the date in it because that six pack guy might be the typical guy that constantly goes up to her. You know what I mean? So for 600,000 pounds. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, what I said there doesn't sound right. So I'm going to rephrase it. Yeah, if yeah. he was listening in, I'm saying that if you come in with the right ingredient, make sure you have the right ingredients for the job and you're prepared for it. And you've shown that you put the work in yeah. like a Usain Bolt as, a, as, a, as opposed to Dwayne Chambers, yeah. Splinter you'll get the result yeah yeah now i see exactly what you're saying yeah even if you come in suited and booted prepared questions jokes whatever it is you're going for come with something and go that little bit extra because i promise you your competitors won't be doing that and it would just like i did this job interview and i went in i even wore a suit on the webcam i didn't have to wear a suit now most people wouldn't do that during the pandemic right but i thought but why not? I want to stand out because you can't go wrong with the suit, right? No. You can even if you don't like the suit, you can't like not hire somebody for wearing no suit, right? I just never heard of. You could be like, oh, he's tumble, but still, it just ticks the box, right? So I think I remember just going in, making sure my background was changed or all polished, not like it is now, and. um after doing the interview, I was just like, oh, shit, I feel sorry for the person who's going next to me. Like, who's going after? Like, the, 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 if they're going after and they haven't done any of those things, they're going to look like they haven't put in effort. Do you know what I'm saying? Even if they have, right? Yeah. It's a weird one. Psychology. It's just the psychology of it. You it's got a standard feel. comedy thing. You've got 12 seconds to impress. People judge you in the first 12 seconds. Are you talking about amused moose now? <laughs> oh god it just reminds me of me. yeah you got 12 seconds holy crap i forgot about that yeah yeah but no but it's kind of true it's true you do have about 12 seconds now they they piss me off after them 12 seconds but 12 seconds is what you've got it's not, it's not like what you've got to impress them is that people will usually make up their mind about you in 12 seconds okay so if i'm like 
Yo, 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 fam, let's go and chill out and do this, yeah? yeah exactly. And then it, all of a sudden, after the 12 seconds, oh, my name is Wolfie Bolalala. Let's yeah. go to some fencing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, man. So, yeah, you could you could completely judge people's vibes in just, some, in just the first bit they do. That's why so many people, I've noticed this now, notice this, anytime that somebody comes on stage, usually what they would do is spend the first 10 seconds thanking everybody, thanking the host, thanking the great city that they're in. Because A, it deflects from you judging them, but you are always judging people in the first 12 seconds. So now you're judging them as somebody who's very thankful and grateful. That's, that's, a, cool that's a cool thing to be judged as, right? Yeah. So notice it next time when people come on and they do TED Talks, or they do, or they're masters of stage, I've noticed that they just go, well, just want to thank you so much for being here. What a great host, everybody. And thank you, you lovely people. I've had such a great time in your city and oh, I'm so thankful to be here. Anyway, so what I was, do you know what I mean? Now they go on with the show. I've noticed that. They're always like, it's always 12 seconds. Yeah. Well, one thing that would be quite funny if someone said, right, I'm a miserable prick. What the fuck am I doing here? I can't stand any of you. You guys are useless. You guys, if someone did in a TEDx talk, did what Conor McGregor used to do when he roasted people, I would pay to watch that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look, he would have to finish that with a nice, because that's really building tension, that bit. He would have to kind of like deflate that tension somehow. You know, yeah. you wouldn't be able to keep that up for too long. It depends who it was. It depends if they, they had, you know, FU money. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's what that's what life's about, isn't it? Yeah. Being in a position where you can say FU to things you don't like. Yeah, yeah. You want that Beyonce money, you know? You want to be able to... That's, that's Conor McGregor. He's got the FU money. He can literally... He doesn't need to work again. Well, that's... I think... I'm, I, I reckon, right... Ever since he um, had that Floyd Mayweather fight and had all that money, all that income, he's not been bothered because every time, every fight I've seen him since then, he's been trying to put it on. Like when he trash talks, he no longer believes it himself. He's not relaxed or confident. He's putting it on. Yeah, yeah, it's all of an act, though, isn't it? Like that goes with it. That goes with it. Boxing. It's like I should have done that. Maybe I think with comedians, it's better that we're self-deprecating. We're not too flash because it's just not funny. But with boxers, they get to have this sort of uh, bravado, you know? Hmm. It's his self-talk, because he can't come out there like, oh, you're going to beat the guy. Um, I don't know, maybe, but um, I'll see how it goes. He's got to be like, yes, I'm the best in the world. You can't beat me. You know, all this sort of stuff. Well, it was funny when he used to say it used to be quite funny, and you, he was a lot more comfortable and relaxed. Now when he does it, he's, he's, he's so tensed up. And he doesn't, he doesn't seem sure of himself anymore. Well, it's, you're thinking that's because he lost. You saw him get knocked out that time. When he lost, that's what changed everyone's opinion. Because now when he does it, you're like, ah, oh, you can't back it up. But at the time he was undefeated and he was talking all this trash talk. We loved it. No, it, was, no, it was just seeing the body language though. He's more... Yeah, yeah, he's a bit he's a bit worried. I don't know what's going on. I think he's because he's been celebrating too much. He's been drinking too much champagne and um proper 12. Yeah, he's 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 I've seen him party more and living up more whereas every other person's in the gym training and fighting and hungry for it. 
He's um he's what victory has defeated you. <laughs> of course, I'm Conor McGregor. You know, you know exactly. So, so that's true. Victory has defeated him completely. He's well, he's achieved everything ever he wanted. So, yeah. The only thing I will say is I'm in, I'm impressed with how Mayweather was able to keep it going despite all the money. Yeah, he's a talent. I think he just generally loves boxing. He treats it like a job. Um, and he doesn't have the stature for it. I don't know how he wins. He just He's just good at defending. He's good at keeping to staying around. And I think from a money point of view, if you're betting on the boxing and stuff, for him to just keep it going for 10 rounds without like getting knocked out, very good. Yeah, he played with him. It wasn't a good performance, but... Mm. One thing I want to say, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, we've done a lot of impressions. <laughs> Not that many. I could have done more next time. Next time. We've done a lot of, we've spoken a lot about your stories in Great London Foundation, your impressions, pranksters. It was an, it's interesting to see what it was like as a fan. Uh, but what, what, what is the biggest lesson you've learned in life? And how do people find out about you and your work? Good question. Good question. Biggest lesson uh, I learned in life is, yeah, your self-talk has just got to be on it, right? And you can do with quite a lot of things that you want, but the best thing you can do is to make sure that you are like mentally talking about yourself in the best possible light, right? And words are the most important thing on the planet. So how you talk to yourself, how you talk to others is so key. Not lying, telling the truth, all this stuff is vital and you think you can escape it, but you can't. If you tell a lie about who you are and where you're from, it's going to catch up with you one day and you're going to go into another venue and you're going to go like, hold on, what was the lie I said here? And what was the lie yeah. I said there? So speak with conviction and your life shall change. So yes, all that sort of stuff, affirmations, vision boards. It's true. God damn it. All of it is true. The Jedi, the Sith, you know, it's all true, baby. And I'm very, I believe in there's going to be another life. I know it is. I've seen the other side. Find me on uh, YouTube, by the way, if you want to hear more of the rest of this sort of stuff. Find me on um, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Mikey Barge. It's just the same name. I keep it simple. Find me. And if you want to come on my podcast one day, please come on my show, Marvin, as well. Oh, I'd love to come on. Absolutely. More than welcome to come on that one and tell your side of the story. Uh, that'd be great. And if people want to hook me up or find me, just yes, just Mikey Barge on Insta, message me and we'll make it happen, baby. All right, guys. So make sure you follow Mikey, get in contact. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Of course, follow, subscribe to the channel, guys. Give us a review on iTunes. And if you're feeling extra nice, donate some money on Patreon, help this podcast keep going. Take care, guys. Thank <music> you.